This week in KMA Land, MidAmerican introduces proposed Page County Solar Project. Mills County Sheriff Travis Otter resigns. Glenwood Mayor calls it quits. Shen Nursing Home evacuated. EMS Essential Services Drive kicks into high gear. Pottawatomie County Board hears wind turbine aviation issues. And Shen Council receives Johnson Brothers Mill update. I'm Mike Peterson. Plans for a proposed solar energy project and a call for a solar energy ordinance were heard in Page County this week. Meeting in regular session Thursday evening, the county's Board of Supervisors heard from Mid-American Energy's Will Doherty on a potential 50-megawatt solar project north of Clarinda. County officials held work sessions on an ordinance in 2021 and extended a 180-day moratorium on commercial solar applications in August to reignite those efforts. Doherty says they've been working with three landowners since 2020 to establish a roughly 300-acre area for the project, but notes they are still in the early stages. There have been some studies that have been performed on the geotech side of things. Um, we have not performed any uh, more in-depth studies from the engineering side of the project since we are uh, currently from the county side of things in a moratorium and then also on the uh, feasibility side of things from the transmission point of view. We're still going through some studies with the MISO process as well. He adds the company officials had contacted County Engineer J.D. King in 2020 about the potential project and expect to decide in the near future whether the endeavor is feasible. Well, they would have to have some space for maintenance. Doherty says they hoped they would make the solar farm as compact as possible. He also presented two examples of solar ordinance for commercial projects in nearby counties. He called on the board to start developing an ordinance, but acknowledged it can be a rigorous process. Some counties have taken the liberty of hiring outside counsel, even to help with their drafting process for, for the Planning and Zoning Commission and the Board of Supervisors. Um, but I think there's a lot of examples from throughout the state of successful ordinances that do provide county protections, county balance, um, from any developments that might go awry, but also allow development in the county and the, the county's constituents and landowners to partner with companies such as Mid-American Energy to uh, utilize their properties as they see fit. Doherty says up to 300 feet in the county in 2021 is suggested for setbacks from a residence. However, he adds that solar farms are more discreet in an agricultural district than wind turbines and can be shielded with items such as trees and shrubs. That being said, we'd be you know, willing to work with the county and also the individual landowners as well on the shielding side of things. Um, they are fairly easy to shield as well from a, a homeowner's point of view. Um, but you know, universal shielding throughout an entire project can be a little bit inhibitive, can be a little bit uh, capital intensive for a project just from a cost standpoint. From the maintenance, so we would look to you know work with the county and work with the landowners. One of the ordinances Doherty presented was from Mills County, which county officials passed earlier this year. He says it's one of the more thorough and balanced ordinances he has seen across the state. They also have a, a pretty extensive decommissioning portion. Um, they have a pretty extensive agricultural and soil uh, preservation portion as well, and they also have a, a, a portion I think on the. Uh, vegetation management plan, which is one of the more extensive that I've seen throughout the entire state. By no means is that that ordinance, you know, giving the farm away to us. Um, it's very comprehensive. It's very thorough overall. But at the end of the day, it does allow us to develop. You know, it's pretty strict. It's pretty stringent. Um, but we think we can meet those restrictions and those qualifications with the county ordinance and still have a successful project. Supervisor Judy Clark suggested utilizing one of the ordinances as a starting point, and the board plans to develop their own version as soon as possible. Stunning developments regarding Mills County and Glenwood this week. First of all, Mills County suddenly found itself without a sheriff. 
Meeting in special session Wednesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors accepted a resignation letter from County Sheriff Travis Otter and acknowledged that Chief Deputy Josh England will serve as acting sheriff alongside his current duties. Otter's last day as sheriff was Friday. Mills County Auditor Amy Peterson says the board has a few options, including filling the vacancy by appointment or calling for a special election. However, she notes the process needs to be completed within 40 days of Otter's official resignation day. We need to go to the papers, publicize, see if there's any interest out there. That runs, I believe, for 14 days, but I still need to double-check on the timelines and everything, which is what we need to get set up right now on when we do go to the paper and timeline for it. If there's other interest out there, if they want to appoint, if they want to maintain it just as an interim until the elections, you know, um, what the public wants, find out what they're interested in, how they... Otter was elected to his first four-year term as sheriff in 2020. If the board appoints his successor, County Attorney Deshaun Birdsell says citizens could still call for a special election within 14 days of publishing their intent in the local paper. Instead of the Board of Supervisors just appointing somebody, um, I can force an election by having a certain number of, or a certain percentage of the last election's signatures brought forth to the county and then force a special election for that position. While no official decision was made on moving forward, board members considered the possibility of appointing England to fill the remainder of Otter's term, which expires in December 2024. However, Peterson says appointing England would require a 60% buyout of at least his remaining vacation time due to shifting from a county employee to an elected official. Now, if you're interim, no, you, you would still have all that. Okay, if they appoint you and you would go back in January, correct, you wouldn't have anything except to have the cruise throughout, just like normally. You know, while saying England could remain as interim sheriff until the next election, Peterson notes he wouldn't be able to receive a pay increase due to already making the maximum 85% of the sheriff's salary allowed by the Iowa Code. While saying he's more than happy to step up officially as interim and or appointed sheriff, England did express some questions over losing all of his built-up vacation time and the financial strain it would have on the county to buy out since he does not plan to run for election in 2024. That is just my biggest concern is, okay, I'm going to step up, yes. fill, fill the void until the next fiscal election if I am appointed. But so then my question would be, if I get it and paid out my 800 hours at 60%, I start all over again, I build up my sick time, I go to retire, being that the policy has changed since my hire date was before that policy change, would the county be paying me out my sick time again when I go to retire? Supervisors Chair Lonnie Mayberry suggested checking with Council Bluffs Police Captain Greg Schultz, who announced his intentions earlier this year to run for sheriff next year and whether he would be willing to take an appointment ahead of time. Mayberry also suggested England meet with human resources and Birdsell see if there would be any exceptions in the code. Also calling it a career this week, Glenwood Mayor Ron Cohn. At its regular meeting Tuesday night, the Glenwood City Council unanimously approved Cohn's resignation due to personal circumstances and to move forward with filling the vacancy by appointment. City Administrator Amber Farden says the council had two options to fill the vacancy, calling a special election or filling it by appointment. She notes either process would need to be completed within 60 days of Tuesday's effective date of the resignation. Farnand adds there are a few additional requirements that come with appointing the position. We will have to set the date of which that appointment will be made and make a public notice between 10 and 20 days of that date. 
Uh, best practice, though, would be to go ahead and advertise that as soon as we know it so that interested parties can let us know. Um, best practice also would be to interview any candidates, interested parties as possible candidates, if you guys decide to appoint. Cohn was first elected as mayor in 2017 when he ran as a writing candidate and had most recently won the election earlier this month, remaining uncontested. Farnan outlined some of the city's accomplishments during his tenure as mayor. During his time as mayor, the city purchased a new ladder truck for the fire department, a new loader for the public works department. Uh, we installed water and sewer to Marion Heights. We weathered fallout from historic flooding in 2019, navigated a pandemic. We were able to take over EMS operations from Bloomington Volunteer Fire Association and created the city of Bloomington's first full-time full staff paid firefighter EMT and paramedics. Uh, we worked with developers and Spoco to secure grant funding to build much-needed housing and apartments. More recently, the city also entered into an agreement with Mills County to help bring broadband internet within city limits with Western Iowa Networks and secured funding for the North Locust Street Reconstruction Project. Farnan adds that Cone was very involved in the city's day-to-day -day operations. He was always available when we needed something, and he represented the city in many facets and attended many board meetings, including uh, GMU, Park Board, Cemetery Board, Plan and Zoning, Board of Supervisor Meetings, uh, MAPA, SWIPCO, and YMCA. Mayor Cohn took an interest in the appearance of City Hall and added two planters outside our entryway. He helped design our new entryway to make it more secure for us in the office. And with the council's approval, Farnan says the city will move forward with advertising the opening on the city's website to garner interest from community members. A host of local agencies responded to a carbon monoxide leak at a Shenandoah nursing facility Thursday morning. Shortly after 9 a.m., Shenandoah's Fire Department and Shenandoah EMS responded to Acura Healthcare of Shenandoah at 1203 South Elm Street for a reported carbon monoxide leak within the facility. Upon first responders' arrival, nursing home staff were in the process of evacuating residents per protocol. Firefighters entered the building and discovered high levels of carbon monoxide within the structure and confirmed a full evacuation was necessary. Additional ambulances, local school buses, and other private transportation partners responded under mutual aid to help relocate nursing home residents to Shenandoah Medical Center for those requiring treatment and those needing further shelter due to cold weather. Acura Healthcare staff worked to contact all family members of affected residents. Approximately 44 residents were transported from the scene. Okay, mainland residents were invited to a town hall meeting on the subject of emergency services next Wednesday evening at 7 at the Isaac Walton League on Highway 2. At that meeting, attendees can learn more information regarding a proposal designating the county's emergency medical services as essential services. Shenandoah EMS Director Ty Davison is serving as the community spokesperson on the issue. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program, Davison hopes the meeting clears up any muddy waters connected to the proposed designation. There are a lot of questions when it started. Uh, there was questions with each of the EMS agencies, what it means, what it could mean, and what it could provide for the EMS services in the counties. So with our research, we've done our research through it and talked to other counties and other services and uh, started putting things together in Page County. Next week's meeting is the first of several town halls planned before an expected March 5th special election on setting the designation. If approved by a 60% plus one supermajority, the designation would set a tax levy of 75 cents per thousand dollars valuation. Davidson says the levy would generate approximately $647,000 per year to be divided between the county's various EMS units. 
He says the designation would especially help some of the county's smaller agencies. We've proposed, this is nothing set in stone, we're not an official committee or anything yet. The proposed plan would be that we would take $10,000 and right off the top per volunteer service throughout the county and give that to them so that they could use that as they needed. Now, that money would need to be accounted for as to where it went and that money would need to go into a budget that can be reported back to the county and then made up. Before the special election is set, the county's board of supervisors must approve a charter at its meeting next Thursday. Council Bluffs was once again the site of another episode of As the Turbine Turns. Pottawatomie County aviation officials this week expressed concerns over dangers proposed wind turbine projects posed to air traffic and pilot training. Representatives of two aviation-based entities aired their concerns during Tuesday morning's County Board of Supervisors meeting. Jerome Howard is chief flight instructor with Rev Aviation, which is based at the Counts Bluffs Municipal Airport. Howard says proposed wind turbine projects in the trainer area would be located in the middle of their operations. The towers themselves create obstacles up to about 500 feet above ground. The top of the blade arc prevents maneuvers below that minimum altitude that we have. The top of the blade arc is, from what I understand, is going to be up to 800 feet above the ground. Howard says maneuvering above wind farms would not be practical for the company's students or instructors and would pose problems in case of emergency. In the event uh, that a aircraft has an emergency, engine failure, rough running engine, something like that, ice buildup on the engine, if these farms were built in our areas, it would pose a possible danger to making an emergency landing if that event were to occur. Howard says the company's concerns regarding wind turbines involve safety issues. There's no one that's against renewable energy or alternative alternative forms of energy. It's more we're coming at this from a safety uh, safety issue and from a training issue for, for our students. It is going to increase the cost for students. It is going to increase their training times. If we have to relocate to other practice areas, there's going to be a whole other uh, round of talks with Omaha Approach so we can ingress, egress to coordinate with the flights in and out of Epley and whatnot. Andy Biller, executive director of the Council Bluffs Airport Authority, voiced support for Howard's concerns. Miller adds the proposed wind farms pose a challenge to agriculture-based aviation. While it isn't super compatible with all of our activity, well, it's a public airport and Pottawatomie County's uh, heavy ag, so we make it work. They don't fly very high, so I just have to believe if they were here, I don't know that they are, but if they were here, they would look at their fields and they would say, wow, this is going to look like a pinball machine out there as they navigate around. Tuesday's discussions followed a recent public hearing on a proposed amendment to the county's zoning ordinance by adding provisions for wind energy and solar energy systems. No action was taken by the supervisors. More discussion on the proposed amendment is expected at future board meetings. Progress is reported on the Renaissance in a venerable Shenandoah building. By a 4 to nothing vote Tuesday night, the Shenandoah City Council authorized the city clerk to pay C.J. Kimson roofing $86,750 for roof coverings and Pella windows and doors more than $19,700 for windows replaced on the Johnson Brothers Mill building. Council members took action following an update from Malosia LLC owner Margaret Brady, who is spearheading the building's renovation. Brady says workers have completed numerous tasks in the continuing project. And remember, tuck planting is where they move out that little bad concrete that was falling out or cement in between the, the tiles, and they put new in. The parapet, which is the area around the top, quite a bit had been broken away. They replaced all that. 
they cleaned the building and got rid of what they called biogrowth, which was the stuff that made it look like it was crying down the thing, and then they treated it with something to prevent that from happening again. In addition to replacing vinyl windows in the building's mezzanine level with new Pella windows, all three of the building's roofs were covered with insulation and a protective Duralast membrane. Additionally, new electrical boxes have been established on the outside and inside of the building. Bradley adds a lot of junk has been removed from the structure as well. 40 tons of old feed and debris have gone to Shenandoah Sanitation. That has cost us about $12,000 in just dumpster fee. They gave us a great deal on that, and I thank Shenandoah Sanitation for that. Um, it's, I, at, right now I have 13,000 hours of my people in there working to get everything cleaned out. That's what, pretty much what we've been doing. And then I have Larry the scrap guy who's come and pulled a lot of metal out. Brady says other work remains including repairing and painting metal window frames, installing glass panes as needed, finishing installation to the base electrical wiring, finishing cleaning the entire structure, and the installation of an elevator. I'm hoping to put a passenger elevator in there, which will allow, you know, you could put just an elevator to haul stuff up and down, but people couldn't ride in it. That would be okay if it was just going to be a warehouse, but our goal is to do it more than that, so I'm hoping to do a passenger elevator. More than $373,000 has been spent in the building's renovation thus far, but almost $184,000 remains from the $250,000 in TIF funding allocated by the city, $165,000 contributed by the Johnson family, the Iowa Economic Development Authority's Community Catalyst Grant totaling $100,000, and $42,000 from Brady's own company. Well, speaking on KMA's Morning Line program on Wednesday, Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen says he was amazed at Brady and her company and what they've accomplished since restoration work began almost six months ago. I know she was waiting to get the roof completely done before she could do a lot of the stuff on the inside. So we're glad to have that done and uh, be able to, uh, you know, move forward from that. Of course, I'm sure everybody's noticed that she's got the new Pella windows in on the uh, second floor. So, but no, her report was very thorough, very uh, uh, very impressive as far as what they've gotten done. Last year, the council allocated that $250,000 in TIF financing for the building's renovation. McQueen says addressing the dilapidated structure is just one of the projects that was on his agenda when he ran for mayor back in 2021. You know, we're going to take an eyesore that's kind of, to me, the entrance to our downtown and turn it into something impressive. And she's got a lot of great ideas of what to do with it for activities and so forth. Uh, as far as uh, farmer's market, uh, she wants to get a commercial kitchen in there as far to so people can learn how to, to uh, do things with their homegrown vegetables and fruits and stuff. And so, you know, this when it's completed, I, I think it's going to be one of those things. You're going to look there to the depot and and then look right up our Main Street and, and how impressive it's going to be. McQueen believes the Johnson Brothers Mills restoration can serve as a catalyst for other projects downtown. Well, most of KMA land got its first taste of winter this week. Much of the region saw up to one to three inches of snow over the Thanksgiving weekend, including Page County. County engineer J.D. King told KMA News that his crews were able to get out at around 5 a.m. Sunday and clear the county's secondary roads. We ran the pavements put down some material at the intersections and uh, and uh, stops, but uh, a couple rounds took care of that. We had our trucks back uh, back at the shop by, by about 11 o'clock. King says they've been working on their trucks and vehicles over the past few months to prepare for the first snow. We had a little fall with one of our trucks, but uh, worked through that, so uh, the trucks ran well. 
on this first go. We we still have a a, a ten of us not uh, not on site waiting parts, but uh, we brought the spare truck into service for that, and that's why we have a spare. While salt prices have jumped about one dollar per ton from a year ago, King says salt supplies are also stocked up thanks to mild winters the past couple of years. He adds winterization materials in general are in good supply. Right now, our our material mix building is full. It's a hoop building, and our salt storage is also full. We have three small bins, probably a couple hundred tons of salt storage. And so then as we use the material, we'll uh, haul more out of Shenandoah, the sand plant there, and uh, and mix it, mix it with salt and top it off with a little uh, calcium chloride to help it stick. When it goes down. King says the lighter snows also serve as a good reminder for his maintenance crews and motorists alike. We like to see the small snows to get everybody reminded about uh, how to push snow. And then from the traveling public also, is to, you know, it is winter in Iowa, or it will be, and uh, need to drive accordingly. Slow down, make sure you got enough time to get where you're going. So, uh, you know, be safe out there in your car or truck. To keep up to date with state highways and interstate conditions in Iowa, visit 511ia.org. Nebraska road conditions are available at 511.nebraska.gov, while updates on Missouri's roadways are available at traveler.modot.org. Planning continues for a possible expansion of Red Oaks Fire Station. Representatives from JEO Consulting Group recently met with Red Oak Fire Chief John Bruce and other city officials on the proposed project. While still in the planning phase, Bruce tells KMA News the meeting's main goal was to determine whether the project was doable or even feasible. This gentleman feels that that's a yes and a yes. So from here, it's just going to be the mayor, city administrator, myself, and city council um, exploring, you know, the appropriate options and then start getting something on paper and, and getting that actual project itself a vision and, and then, uh, of course, the procuring funding. One funding option presented at a council meeting earlier this year is including the renovations in a package for a general obligation bond. Atop of equipment and fire apparatus growing in size, Bruce notes the full-time staffing at the facility has greatly expanded with individuals occupying and living in the space 24-7, 365 days a year. When it was built, there was a total of six career staff on shift, um, two per shift because we run three shifts here. And that's being expanded towards four staff members on each shift. So... Um, our barracks are extremely cramped. The building itself needs, you know, water upgrades. It needs electrical upgrades. It's just hasn't been touched in quite some time. While the department's volunteer organization has funded more minor renovations, such as the kitchen, Bruce says the facility hasn't had a significant renovation during its more than 40-year life outside of a roof replacement. Bruce says preliminary proposals include demolishing the south side of the building, which currently houses administrative offices, bunks, and the kitchen, and expanding further south. That would be a complete demo, and then we would also expand as far south as to potentially the uh, sidewalk that runs east and west there, south of our facility, just to try to get a little more square footage, get a little more livable space so we can get administrative offices and we can get the appropriate barracks built um, for co-ed staffing. 
While not in use by the council, Bruce adds any IT upgrades can come in handy for any training sessions held at the facility. While not wanting to put a timeline of the potential project, Bruce believes they could prioritize the project more in early 2024 after the holiday season and after three new members have joined the council. More discussion on this project is expected at future council meetings. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com. You can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This Week in KMA Land is a presentation of KMA News.